Alright, everybody, welcome to the September 20th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Dan here with me, and Chris might be showing up at some point. Howdy, howdy. We uh, are recording for the first time in a while because, uh, well, the entire West Coast was on fire for a while. I'm sure you saw about it, uh, or read about it, saw about yep. it. I don't even know what the hell that was. I'll just uh -huh. look out their window for those of us close, those of them close by. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Portland has three counties in its primary metro area, uh, Multnomah, Clackamas, and Washington. All of Clackamas was under an evacuation order at one point. Um, the level one, which is admittedly the least serious, got as close as two miles from my house, and I live in, like, pretty central Portland. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you very much in the city. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, like, on the outskirts or anything, and yeah, two miles down the road was the evacuation line. Um, a full 50% of Clackamas at one point was under a level three evacuation warning, which means uh, emergency services have pulled out, either leave or you're on your own, yeah. uh, which is the most serious level of evacuation there. Um, the state said at 1.500,000 people uh, evacuated. That later turned out to be false, and I'm not entirely sure where they got that number from. Um, the total number was closer to 100,000, uh, about one-fifth of what the state said. We've now clocked in at, I believe, 10 deaths, uh, one of which was uh, Mr. Adia, who is the son of a former Oregon lieutenant governor and one of the most famous environmentalists in the state, who led a successful effort to uh, protect much of Oregon wildlands from clear-cut logging. Um, he refused to evacuate his property. They found a body yesterday. They're assuming it's him, but we're waiting for DNA testing. It's mm. a sad development. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Um, the, the deaths got to the point that the state actually began their first mobile morgue. Um, not really necessarily uh, because they needed the space, but because, you know, the bodies were being found in areas that aren't readily serviceable. The roads were still, you know, covered in burned trees that had toppled over, and it just made sense to process the bodies kind of in the field. Yeah. Uh, so that was the thing. I also, I posted in a group the other day, but Oregon has spent enough fighting the wildfires this year that uh, we have an insurance policy, the only one in the world like it, actually, that is actually going to pay out now for the first time since we began taking it out. Uh, we had an insurance policy at the Lloyds of London, uh, and the way it works is that the first $50 million in wildfire response is on the state. The uh, next $25 million after that, Lloyd's will cover 100% out of pocket, and then everything over $75 million uh, is expected to be covered with a mix of federal funds and state funds. Lloyd has never, Lloyd's of London has never had to pay out on that policy before this year. I would assume they've gotten their money's worth out of it then. <laughs> yeah. It's been that long. But that is, wow, that is just devastating. I mean, considering all the other emergencies that pretty much every state in the country is having to deal with, but particularly some West Coast states got hit mm -hmm. by with, by COVID pretty early. And then knocked that is just one more harsh hit. Yeah. Uh, like they're having to pay more and more for things uh, with less and less money coming in because, you know, people can't work. There's a pandemic right. out there. That's right. Income tax, suddenly there isn't any. And, you know, 
the unemployment claims are up, 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 and those do have their revenue sources, but all the same, it's not taxable money at that point. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty devastating. Yeah. Um, Oregon has a yearly average of uh, a little under 500,000 acres that burn in wildfire yearly. Uh, in just this one outbreak in the course of a week, we burned over a million acres. So we doubled our annual, uh, you know, expected fire season in a single week. It, it was quite a hit. Uh, I took some photos. You basically couldn't breathe in Portland. We had the worst air quality of any major city in the world for a, a fairly substantial period of time. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, gotten lucky last year, but it's definitely hit us hard this time. It's probably as hard as it's been in decades, for sure. It's increasing. It's becoming a pretty common thing, though, in terms of just having a fire season where huge chunks of the state are on fire and your breathing is imperiled. I know we went through that in 2018, 2017, skipped last year for the most part, but it's it's devastating and it, it's making it harder to live pretty much anywhere. And the breadth of causes of these fires was also somewhat striking to me. A bunch of them were caused by lightning. Uh, one of them in California was caused by a gender reveal party where they had pyrotechnics. Right. Uh, to like, you know, launch the different colored confetti or whatever. Um, there, there were, cases of just campfires getting out of control there was really just such a wide variety and it really i think drives home the point that things are primed for this this is just kind of our climate now (laughs) you know anything can set them off so yeah don't do that stuff yeah (laughs) fireworks i mean yeah what was that the the, uh fire that burned up uh the multnomah falls Oh, that was a kid playing with fireworks that right. he got in Washington. Oregon has some restrictions on fireworks. They're generally illegal, although we opened them up for sale for a couple of year or a couple of weeks around the Fourth of July every year. Right. Um, but aside from that, people aren't supposed to be able to buy fireworks in Oregon. They're locked down. Kid went over to Washington, where you guys sell them all year. Came back, was launching them off a cliffside in the gorge, and burned down Amer- one of America's natural treasures. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's not a reasonable use toy anymore. That's for sure. Seriously. Um, and and they're weapons. <laughs> I mean, we can use them for amusement, but at their core, there's really no difference except scale between a firecracker and say a mortar. Right. Um, kind of ties into the old, uh, I, I guess, I'd say sci-fi trope that. There's no difference between an engine and a weapon. The better your engine is, the better a weapon you have, because you're just mm-hmm. making something slam into something really fast. Yeah, uh, yeah. A, a firework is just an explosion. It's a grenade that doesn't blow up quite as powerfully. Um, and you even saw that during some of the protests. They were using fireworks to defend themselves against uh, the federal forces, which right. drives home that point. Yeah, exactly. It's a way I, I remember seeing some of those clips. Yeah, where you know someone would fire off a firework and yeah, yeah. slam it into a cop, and yeah, that would at least break up whatever assault was incoming. 
There yeah. was a, a super dramatic uh, footage of them firing them into the line of cops that were inside the CNN building in Atlanta, in particular. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I guess we'll get into the major news of the week, which is now uh, we only have eight Supreme Court justices. Ruth Bader right. Ginsburg has passed away. Um, I believe she was 88. Did I have yeah. that right? Yeah, about 88, 87 years old. Yeah. Um, there's obviously an outpouring of, of grief, um, especially among women in this country. Mm -hmm. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is an absolute female icon. Um, she launched her career by prosecuting sex discrimination, or not prosecuting, but bringing sex discrimination Lawsuits. cases mm -hmm. in, uh, into the Supreme Court in the 1970s. She won five out of six, which is fairly unprecedented. Um, she lived a very full life. Her, her husband, she kind of retreated from public eye to care for him. He had Alzheimer's in his later years. Um, she herself, and this, a somewhat controversial take on all this for me, I guess, is that I'm pretty angry at, mm. at RBG, uh, at Miss Ginsburg, at Justice Ginsburg. Almost annual cancer diagnoses have been a thing for like a couple decades for her now going back to the, the early 2000s i think was her first cancer diagnosis and she's got yeah. them pretty much on cue roughly yearly um just i'm so so upset that all these things that she cared for and spent her life really driving she could have helped preserve them by just Retiring and letting Obama replace her instead of rolling the dice. Um, yeah. This was a fairly foreseeable outcome, I, I, I feel. And her legacy somewhat depends on the things that she fought for remaining the way we do things in this country. And she put that in peril. I mean, I don't think she expected Trump to win, but it was an outcome on the range of possibilities. So, right. And... Yeah, I, I think the window where she probably could have done it would have probably been that, you know, 2013, 2014, I think more than anything else, maybe 2011. But again, that would have been fairly early. But yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I remember, I think it was as far back as like 2003, 2004, some right wing preacher got into a little bit of trouble for doing some making some kind of prayer and referencing the fact that she'd had pancreatic cancer. And it was, yeah, like nearly 20 years ago. You're right. And you know, the, the tone of it was definitely hoping for that to get worse. So, you know, maybe she would retire rather than just straight up die. But yeah, it, that's, you know, the context I remember for that, but yeah, she's definitely been in a situation where I think even, as early as when Obama first took office, you know, back in 2009, there was a lot of expectation that she would be, okay, phew, now she's safe. She can step down. You know, she doesn't have to worry about her health anymore. So, yeah, it was definitely a roll of the dice. I mean, I can't really speak to how her thinking would have gone. Yeah, sure, she must have thought that she could hold on and that, you know, of course, she thought that Clinton would get elected. But I mean, well, we I guess all it, thought that. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess post twenty fourteen, she really—that was really all she could do because you know we saw that 
McConnell wasn't going to allow any kind of replacement justices to be appointed, uh, you know, back in 2016. But yeah, certainly at any time up until 2014, when Democrats lost the majority, that would have been the reasonable time for her and frankly, also Stephen Breyer to step aside and let, you know, let some more blood move on to the court and kind of preserve what preserve what they, you know, spent their careers pursuing because, you know, certainly, I mean, the counterexample to that of a political justice that basically timed their retirement almost completely venally in the time of the you know, political calculation was Anthony Kennedy, mm-hmm. who went off the court, you know, just right at that time so that, you know, Trump could snap up one more appointment and move the court significantly further to the right by being replaced with Kavanaugh. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, I think it's it's the sort of thing that, you know, people probably don't want to hear so much right now because we're all pretty grief stricken. But yeah, on some level, I think progressives are going to have to be more pragmatic about how they see the court and take the whole judiciary more seriously than they have in the past. And that's going to include making sure that the people we appoint also understand that they need to time their departures. Yeah. Um, Go out on their own terms rather than, you know, nature's. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously people can make their own life choices, but that seems to be, to be the preferable outcome going out on top, basically. Yeah. Um, and I, it's, Strange that you brought up Kennedy because I actually thought his departure was a little bit weird, but it it does dovetail with that whole legacy thing I was talking about with RBG. Um, mm-hmm. Kennedy accomplished what he wanted to accomplish on the court. I mean, we had a twenty five year uh, kind of soap opera drama of Anthony Kennedy being the main force in expanding gay rights on the court. I don't want to say main force, but pivotal force. Obviously, there were four other votes each time, but Anthony Kennedy coming around to this idea was really the project he built on the court over his his last couple decades, and then Mm -hmm. when it was complete, he stepped away. Um, I I know he's a Republican uh, of a breed that doesn't really exist anymore, but I... I do think if that was his like crowning achievement and one that he seemed the most proud of on the court, I, I it feels weird that he let Trump replace him because I don't see Trump's justices really getting on board with that. Although, you know, there was the the trans rights case, which maybe shows I'm a fool on that. I mean, there was another, there was a lot of other stuff that he he cared about too, yeah. and I think on balance, a lot of that stuff might have weighed more for him. But fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing where I don't think he, he he probably would have preferred to be replaced by you know someone that you know. I don't think he wanted say Jeb to be Bush. replaced by a liberal, but yeah, like a Jeb Bush or a Mitt Romney Republican. Mm. But yeah, all told, he would prefer going out with his replacement coming from Donald Trump than he would from you know Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So that was kind of the the way he did it. Uh, speaking of replacements, uh, 
Senate Republicans are very callously trying to ram through a replacement before the election, uh, breaking McConnell's rule from four years ago, because of course they will. Oh, McConnell put out like a statement in the first hour. Yeah. You know, yeah. They were saying that it. they will get a vote on the Senate floor, which might be something he's able to do. Um, uh-huh. It, it's going to kind of depend on the numbers. It's on a knife's edge, and there's an additional wrinkle to this that we'll get to. But currently, he needs uh, to hold all his caucus together except for three Republicans. He can't lose more than three. Um, right. If Democrats get to a fourth and hold themselves together, they can prevent any vote uh, on that. He... Well, not he, but Democrats might be able to block it with three if they can delay long enough. Um, in Arizona, the Mark Kelly election is technically a special election, not a regular election. And for a right. special election under Arizona law, they have until the fourth Monday after the election, barring any court challenge, to do the final canvas, certify the results, and issue the certificates of election. Um, and if they do so, that puts the date at November 30th, give Kelly a couple days to show up in D.C. with a certificate of election, and by, like, December 1st, December 2nd, he could theoretically be sitting down in D.C. as a senator, which would mean uh, Republicans could only lose two. Mm-hmm. Could be even sooner than that, actually. I think the Arizona... I mean, I, I hate that we have to put it in these terms, but the Arizona Secretary of State, I believe, is a Democrat, so it's not like he's going to be inclined to delay. It well, could state even law, be mid-November. State law stipulates that the final canvas and the issuance of the certificates has to be done um, in the presence of the governor. So if Garcia gotcha. just doesn't show up, um, I don't I think they're do valid. It. Yeah. Yeah, um, okay. So if if I were Ducey and I was trying to hold together the you know, Republican senate caucus i'd probably not go down to the secretary of state's office until you know i'm threatened with arrest (laughs) you know the very last day that i could exactly yeah yeah now that you mentioned that i think that's likely how it would go down yeah (sighs) so yeah that would that would change the calculus a little bit uh i think as craven as they are i think it would be very hard for them to make a vote happen in the next six weeks Although, yeah, McConnell may certainly try. We have two Republicans currently um, on record as saying they won't do it. Yeah. Uh, one is Collins, who was very actually explicit in her statement, which is very un-Collins-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she not only pledged to not do a vote before the election, but she also pledged that the person who should get to make the nomination is the person who wins the election. Yeah, um, which rules out if Trump loses a, a lame duck confirmation. Murkowski's was a little more wishy-washy. She only it's mentioned not before the election. Exactly. Yeah. She won't be voting on any confirmation before the election. It uh, doesn't say anything about the, the lame duck session. Uh, I, I guess we're also getting hints from Romney, although I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fairly skeptical of that. Romney is not the type of guy who opposes conservative judges. He likes right. conservative judges. Um, Absolutely. You can think what you want about Republican ideology, but Romney is fairly consistent in that. Um, he did swing pretty hard right when he ran for president, um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that's 
the real Mitt Romney. He was a very different person now in the Senate, and he was a very different person when he was governor of Massachusetts than he was running in 2012. But he is very much right of center, and uh, I, I don't think would really be that upset at another Republican Supreme Court justice. He has he has shown a, a little bit of a willingness to bend to concerns of decency and fairness, which. We might be able to press something there on the McConnell rule being tossed out, you know, so quickly after it was introduced. But yeah. yeah, that's probably the best bet with him, honestly. I mean, it's the sort of thing where, yeah, he was the lone vote against or in favor of conviction and impeachment. So you've got kind of a combination of that uh, kind of straight backed idea of, you know, how, you know, the Senate should proceed with various forms of business and then. Animus, I would say, towards Trump personally and the way he's been treated by him that may be what a lot of people are hoping for. And maybe it will work. Maybe it won't. It's really hard to say. It would work, I think, on a certain type of Republican. Like this was basically the appeal that was made to John Roberts in the abortion case, which he voted in the minority uh, for the first time it was up. And then the second time just on the general fairness of not having the Supreme Court reverse itself two years later. Right. Uh, he voted the other way on the case, saying, you know, this has been decided before, and I'm not going to change that. Um, yeah. If Romney's in the Roberts mold, I, I could see that, but mm-hmm. who knows? It will be interesting to see. And then where would the fourth come? Uh, uh, yeah, I got no idea. <laughs> which leads me to think we just have to delay for, like, two months until Kelly gets seated. If we get those three Republicans and Kelly and, you know, hold together Doug Jones and Joe Manchin, yeah, then we're there. And And if not, we're not. Yeah. Well, I mean, after the election, I think most of Doug Jones's and Manchin's political calculations go away. Unfortunately, so does Susan Collins's, but yeah. Well, Manchin's not up this term. No, I mean, that's true. So he's, he's probably more likely, more likely to hold the line. Period. I would think, unless uh, you know, more people are wavering. I mean, so I think you know we're probably not likely to see any big faltering on the Democratic side of things. I mean, even Doug Jones has to know he's a dead man walking. Uh-huh. But yeah, yeah, it's it, it it's going to be a long shot. <laughs> Let's uh, let's talk about a, another little angle to the story. The Supreme Court is currently uh, currently taken up in Affordable Care Act case right now. Yeah. Um, and the bad news about this is that the uh, lower court ruling is that the ACA is uh, not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, to sum it up, uh, in a split court, the lower court ruling stands. So Correct. they take up this case, and with eight justices vote 4v4, then at least in one circuit, and that's the other thing, the precedent doesn't apply to other circuit courts in the event yeah. of split. So at least in one circuit, there would be no more Affordable Care Act, while in the other ones there would be, and that just seems uh, untenable. I would think, you know, I think the more, well, probably the best possible outcome is that Roberts delays hearing the case just does an emergency delay of hearing the case until 
a new justice can be seated. I think, yeah, because even frankly, the four four might be that might be too much. I mean, that would that would depend on Roberts basically swinging and upholding the upholding the law, which I think there was at least some reason to think that he might. <laughs> he's done it several times before. I mean, if there's right, one thing you can say about Roberts, he's never really shied away from that. Um, exactly. So then that would get get to the four four scenario you're talking about, where the law, the rule, lower court ruling itself stands, even as, yeah. So which would dismantle the ACA at least in one circuit, and that would be yeah the best case possible scenario because I don't see any of the other justices following or the any of the other conservatives following Roberts in that instance. Um, the top pick to replace her um, is a name that we've mentioned before. She came up in the previous Supreme Court vacancy, but it's uh, mm-hmm. Amy Coney Barrett. Yeah. Who a lot of Republicans wanted Trump to pick uh, back in the day just because she would have been a much easier confirmation Yeah, in their minds than you know, the picks that he had. She does have some pretty worrying things in her background, but it's not things that would give Republicans any real pause or even moderate Democrats. Um, she's extremely Catholic. Yeah. Super I mean, she's a theocrat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and has really taken cause in, you know, her religious principles should guide her judicial ship and should guide the law. Um, it, it's things that make progressives very nervous, but it's also, something that I think a lot of people would just kind of skate over. Yeah. Uh, which is why Republicans view her as much more confirmable than really any other option there. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that was what McConnell basically told Trump, right? Was this is mm-hmm. the easy one. Kavanaugh is going to be a lift. So act accordingly. And Trump with the way he wanted, uh, in, I think some people theorize the way Anthony Kennedy wanted as well, but yeah, yeah. So it would probably be, I think it would be, you'd definitely have at least 50 votes among the Republicans to confirm just on the merits if it was Barrett. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other options, and I, I have the feeling that her being the top pick is a story planted by Senate Republicans in the media. <laughs> just to, to let Trump know who they expect. Um, this is how you make it easy. This is how you can make the heist happen. Yeah. <laughs> We've cased the joint. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. Trump, meanwhile, seems to be uh, kind of focusing, at least in a short list, on fairly non-traditional Supreme Court picks, uh, notably a number of uh, politicians who I've actually Ed encouraged Cruz, Tom Cotton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've actually encouraged political nominations to the Supreme Court before. I think in general it's a better thing than we let on. A lot of the Supreme Court business is is politics. It's yeah. small scale politics. It's politics among nine people, but building coalitions, building relationships, that's how you build majorities in cases. And I think politicians are kind of naturally uh, experienced at that because of their, their day job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, in general, I like the idea of politicians on the court. Some of our best 
chief justices have been politicians, the, the Burger Court and the Warren Court. Um, excuse me, just the Warren Court. I don't think it right. Burger up there. Right. Uh, but God damn it, when it's the other side, please stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well, that, also, that's my advice for our side, not yours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are uh, you yeah. saying, also? I was just going to say, I, I think what could help torpedo it, honestly, is if he were trying to put on someone like Ted Cruz, who's just so widely disliked, and it would definitely... Hmm, it would make the whole process that much more politicized and difficult for the fence-sitters like Collins, Murkowski, potentially Romney, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of anyone else that might be on the fence. Maybe, uh, what, Lamar Alexander? I think that was another one that was... Yeah, but not for necessarily ideological reasons. No. It's because Lamar Alexander is not going to be in the Senate <laughs> in a right. few months. He's retiring. He's free to vote as conscious. There's nothing Trump can do short of organizing a lynch mob or something that can really affect Lamar Alexander in the slightest going forward. Well, I mean, I mean, honestly, you know, organizing a lynch mob is something that Trump kind of does. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Ah, uh, 2020. Yeah. Um, if you had to... If you had to place a bet, uh, also, Chris just replied that yes, he's in, but I haven't seen him oh. in the call. Okay. Uh, if, if you had to bet, do you think that the Republican nominee gets a Senate vote? Yes, I think they do. I think it probably doesn't happen until after the election, but I think they make it happen. So what that's going to mean is, you know, that, that that's going to come with consequences of its own, of course. Because, well, first of all, I mean, there's the immediate judicial consequence, but I think the pressure on assuming Biden wins is going to be extremely high to tit for tat, to mm. pack the court or go through other norm-breaking methods to reverse what has happened over the course of the Trump administration. The... Uh... The Democratic response, which Axios is is calling total war, and I yeah. completely disagree with that synopsis, um, is a expanding the court, like you said, which has happened several several times throughout history. Um, mm. The court has been changed numerous times, both up and down in number, um, in, including even numbers for a long ass time. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, they were at six twice. They were at eight for a while. They even passed a law to bring them up to ten, but never actually uh, went into effect because it was repealed with a new law years or later before it had a chance to do anything. But it's um, going down is usually accomplished by leaving the number of justices on the court that there are and then just not replacing vacancies until it gets down to the number. Um, mm -hmm. Going up, presidents get to nominate new justices. This is a regular-ass thing that we do every few decades. Uh, I don't consider it total war at all. Uh, the second uh, tentpole was statehood for Puerto Rico and D.C., which I also don't consider total war. These are American citizens, and leaving them without representation harkens back to 
the very first days of our country and mm -hmm. the the canard of no or no taxation without representation. Um, I, I I don't think either of these things are very radical at all. Yeah. No, I mean, and frankly, there are perfectly legitimate nonpartisan reasons for things like yeah, admitting D.C. statehood and Puerto Rico statehood. I mean, I honestly, I think if the Republicans were a little less racist, there's nothing that would guarantee that Puerto Rico is a democratic state necessarily. I'll do you uh, one better. Statehood for Puerto mm -hmm. Rico has been part of the Republican platform for over 50 years. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it harkens back to a time when Republicans saw Hispanics as, as a natural minority for, for them to attract. They tend to be very religious. Family life is very important. They're, they're socially quite conservative, at least among the older ones. Mm -hmm. it, it, in fact, I believe Puerto Rico has a Republican-aligned governor right now. Yes, they do. And I believe their uh, representative in Congress is also a – well, not the rep representative, but their uh, non-voting delegate is a Republican as well. They do elect Republicans. Not quite uh, non-voting. They're not allowed to vote on the floor. They are allowed to vote in committee. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there is definitely plenty of good reason for you know, going ahead and you know admitting you – know, well, at least – with D.C. certainly admitting to statehood. I mean, they've actively petitioned for it and they want it. Uh, we don't really have as clear-cut a case with Puerto Rico. But yeah, I think that's definitely something that Democrats need to take up if they do have hold on the levers of power, all the necessary levers of power in 2021. I even have a good conservative argument for why Puerto Rico should be a state. The U.S. government already funds services and, and infrastructure and all sorts of things oh, on yeah. the island. But residents of Puerto Rico pay no federal income tax. They do pay federal taxes. They pay payroll taxes like Medicare and Social Security and whatnot. But they don't pay federal income tax on money earned on the island while money right. is being spent on the island to support them. That seems yeah. to me to be a pretty you know, solid argument to a, a conservative thought process that these people should be taxed. It's a mm -hmm. way to raise, raise revenue without actually raising taxes, which we all know is a red line. But – Getting people taxed who should be taxed seems perfectly in line with conservative philosophy and paying for, you know, your share of what the, the government is doing seems like it should be a slam dunk to that Absolutely. philosophy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think uh, th those are the main things that get brought up. Yeah. So court packing and. D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood. Um, trying to think of anything else. I mean, I think one of the things that's also been thrown out there is elimination of the filibuster for legislation. Uh, all these things. It's got to be time for the pool to be a little bit dirtier, or at least not be so unilaterally dirty, I guess. Yeah. Uh not that the analogy of both sides shitting in a pool is all that attractive, <laughs> but, but I do agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, going back and forth, you know, to the point where, say, ten years from now, suddenly there's 25 people on the Supreme Court. That's doesn't seem too dissimilar to me from a pool that's just been repeatedly shat in. But I mean, the alternative is. Something other countries accomplish plenty fine. There are huge Supreme Courts in some countries. 
I think the issue for me more is that it's just going to be something that continually gets escalated and the Supreme Court as an institution is just going to be ignored. But that may be better than a reactionary court that's been finagled by repeated abuse of the democratic process that just makes any kind of uh, progressive or even non-radically right-wing lawmaking impossible. It, the idea that the Supreme Court can kind of just be ignored doesn't strike me as uh, quite the doomsday scenario. Um, this is how parliamentary governments function all across the world. The idea of parliamentary supremacy, that previous parliaments can't tie the hands of future parliaments and that parliament can do whatever the hell it wants, is right. well ensconced in the, the Westminster system. Any country that has a parliamentary democracy based on the UK example has that principle. Uh, in fact, for years, until they got around to actually designing a real Supreme Court, the Supreme Court was just the nobles around the Queen. Like, up until 2006 or something like that. The That's Privy right. Council was uh, the court of, of highest appeal and was just a bunch of people, a bunch of nobles that the uh, the queen appointed on the advice of the prime minister who sat around and decided things. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how it worked. I mean, we're in, I mean, it's a precarious situation in America because I think there are very few institutions that people actually, that there's broad consensus respecting and following. I mean, and you get, as the Supreme Court is less and less this case, this way, but it has, at least until recently, the idea that you know the Supreme Court makes a ruling and it's something that people should abide by. But you throw that out, the only other ones that there's really any still standing respect for, it's basically military and the police. So... <laughs> Not not the one not I would like to see that being left as the only institutions left standing that Americans are willing to tolerate or consider being authoritative. By the way, breaking as we've been on the air uh, or recording, I should say we're not on the air. Uh, Lamar <laughs> Alexander is going to vote to confirm. The, oh, great. Oh, hey, yeah. there's a Chris. All right. We got Chris. Just yeah, in time I, for the I uh, forgot how many time zones there are in the country. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, we spent the last 20 minutes or so talking about RBG. Is there anything you want to mention on the topic? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I imagine you already thoroughly covered it. I don't oh, know. Just throw yourself out there, man. We'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, did you did you speculate about whether there is any plausible extra vote that could get us to 51? Uh, we did, and 20 minutes ago while we were recording that plausible extra vote said he would confirm to, or he would vote to confirm Trump's nominee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We talked uh, a bit about Romney, um, and really the only argument we think works there, because Romney in general likes conservative judges, is appealing to a sense of fairness and McConnell tossing the McConnell rule uh, like two, four years after he introduced it. Right. Well, I mean, Romney is one of those people who has said previously in the generic sense, we shouldn't do it at this point. And he's the only one of those who said that who I think might actually mean it. All uh, the others have already backtracked. Well, so Collins uh, had a pretty strong statement and she, unlike Murkowski, uh, 
committed to not voting in the lame duck either. She she said the person who wins the election should get to nominate. Uh, Murkowski just said she won't vote before the election, makes no mention of the lame duck session at all. So it, it's like one and a half we have. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, I meant of those who were already on record. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Tillis is a yes vote for Trump's nominee. We haven't heard from Gardner yet, but I can't no. imagine. He's he's given up. Like, there's there's nothing he's done in the Senate that tells me he expects to be there next year. Um, no. Tillis, Ernst, Loeffler, they've all said that. Yeah. yeah. So our, our other hope, and we discussed this too, is delaying until Kelly takes his seat and getting Romney. Um, which, four Mondays after the election. They, uh, they have to certify the final canvas and give them a certificate of election. Um, the Secretary of State, who is a Democrat, as Dan pointed out, has to do that in the presence of the governor, so the governor could just, like, not talk to him until the last possible day, <laughs> um, which would be November 30th, I believe, uh, how it works out on the calendar, give Kelly a, t- a couple days to get to D.C. with a certificate, Assume McConnell seats him as he's required to do, although there's not actually penalties if he doesn't. You just get a court case saying, hey, you have to seat this guy. He's not risking jail time or anything. So, Well, I think we know what he'd do then. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> all this does kind of depend on McConnell uh, holding his constitutional norms. But that, that would be our best bet, I think. Romney, Murkowski, Collins, and gum up the works until Kelly takes a seat and replaces Mick Sally. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, any any thoughts you have on the likelihood of that? I just asked Dan that question about whether he thinks that the uh, the Republican nominee gets a vote in the Senate. I think it's almost a certainty. Yeah, they'll do it any which way they can. And that was uh, pretty much what I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Um, we're about to move into the election news. I, I think was next up on the topic list, and you're a perfect person to grab for that. Things are looking good. Borders on great. Uh, in terms of that, and especially focusing on the Senate races, um, in North Carolina, uh, Cal is now finally breaking 50% in some polls, uh, mm-hmm. to go with his, like, 8-10 point lead. He used to have that with a bunch of undecideds, so now he's got that with, like, 50-51% of the vote, which is looking very nice. Uh, I think we're sleeping on Mississippi, to be honest. Um, I think that's we have a stronger case for Mississippi than we do for, say, Kentucky. And I think the fact oh, that we're pissing so much money off, uh, so much money away on McGrath and basically starving Espy. McGrath has raised 35 times what Espy has raised. Uh, Espy is A, polling better than her, and, and B, has a substantial track record uh, of getting white support. He is a, a black uh, lawyer. In fact, I believe he's a former government lawyer, an attorney, district attorney of some sort. Uh, when he was in the House, he was routinely getting 30% of the white vote um, in, in his districts. He outran even the Republican nominee in some cases, uh, even though he's a Democrat. 
Uh, George Wallace won his district by, like, two points. Uh, SB won it by 31. So I, I really think there's... If we got him some money, I think SB can make a play. Um, and I don't think McGrath can. I think that race is basically locked in where it is. No, she's definitely done. There's, yeah. you know, there's no way that one's going to come around. And we've given her $34 million. Why are we giving her this money? Because we hate McConnell. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I, I, I try and talk people out of that every chance I get. There's I mean, a that was lot basically, of Sorry. That, that, was, that was Beto in 2018, except that you know, eventually he did... Uh, eventually he did kind of back it up by uh, pulling within a couple points of Ted Cruz, but you mm-hmm. know, she's not going to get anywhere near that close. And, you know, God bless him, he won us a lot of house suits. <laughs> like, the strength of his yeah. candidacy pulled a lot of people over the finish line, even if he didn't mm-hmm. make it himself. Uh, yeah, but we've given McGrath, like, $34 million. She does not need that money because she's not going to do anything with it. Uh, the the other part of that is I, I think we're giving way too much money to Kelly. Uh, just absolutely too much money to Kelly. Hold on a second. My robot vacuum is yelling something at me and I don't know what it's going on about. Um, yeah, he, he's outraising uh, McSally like 10 to 1. It's Arizona, so the voting is going to be done in like two weeks. Like, I, I would argue <laughs> that Arizona is going to be important enough to the presidential race that it would be really great if Kelly can run up the score, drag Biden over the finish line. He's you know, already that, winning by almost 20 points. There have been four polls this week that show him up by at least 16 each. I want to guarantee it. <laughs> I, I, I haven't. I, I did give Mark Kelly money back in the spring. I'm not doing it now, but I don't mind it so much. It's not the sucking black hole that is McGrath in Kentucky. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, The reason I mentioned voting is going to be done in like two weeks. Uh, Arizona has a a very strange voting system. Um, Lots of people vote early. Uh, Like three quarters of the state votes early. Um, Not necessarily through the mail. They have these things called uh, vote centers uh, where no matter where you live, no matter where in the state you live, you can come to any vote center. They'll have a ballot for you, for your races. You fill it out. You turn it in. They run these for like a month and a half before the election. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just I don't think Kelly is going to have time to spend all the money he has already. Yeah. Uh, before, you know, the votes are in in Arizona, basically. I, I think they voted 71 percent early in the last cycle. Um, really? and I, yeah, and I can't imagine that doing anything but going up this year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would think too. Wow, that is amazing. Seventy. Wow. I think so. Let me. Well, I mean, yeah, Nevada is similar like that. Actually, now that you mention it, I mean, it's a smaller state, so they can manage it. But yeah, and I think Florida also substantially votes like nearly half early, also, which is insane because it's huge. Yeah. Early voting is just kind of a thing on the West Coast that it it is it isn't excuse me in uh, mm-hmm. in the East Coast you know yeah. voting day is very much a thing in say Pennsylvania where you have to have an excuse like you're going to be out of the state on election day you have to provide documentation to prove that excuse to the state and only then will they let you fill out an early ballot. Which is a good reason to work on flipping Pennsylvania state legislature. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, in 2016, over 75% of Arizona voters uh, voted early. Yeah. So it was even higher than I thought. I thought it was at 71. It was over 75. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so that election is basically going to be, we won't know the results, but that election is going to be concluded by, like, the middle of October. Everything will be in, more or less. Which is a great thing for current polling. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. Um, and McSally has, you know, she's come fully on board with the Trump nominee, which nomination, excuse me, which I, I don't think bodes well for her continued career if she had any chance to begin with. Yeah, it's it's all in on Trump. I'm trying to think. Uh, there were a few like that in 2018 as well, like Dean Heller and some others that were just like, okay. I'm done. I want to make sure I get a lobbying gig. Mm. Um, yeah, she's got to please the Republicans because they're going to be her employers. In mm-hmm. uh, speaking of the election, we have our first debate. Uh, debate? Debate? What the fuck was that? <laughs> we have our first debate uh, in like a week and a half. Uh, I... I don't know how the debate's going to go, but I am going to say Trump has absolutely lost the expectations game, and he did it to himself. Yep. I, I think if Biden can put two sentences together, which he demonstrably can, he gave a speech today that was probably yep. one of the most presidential things I've seen in a long-ass time. Um, and he had a town hall on CNN that was extremely well-received. Uh Trump has gone full in on this Biden's a senile mess who drools on himself. Uh, he's accused him of taking performance enhancing drugs uh, to hide his yes. senility. Don't really know what those would be, but sure. Um, yeah. He means cocaine. If Biden's anything other than a drooling mess, it's going to look like he won because Trump has been saying he's going to be a drooling mess for like two months. Yeah. <laughs> it it's absolutely deserved, frankly, because it's a horrible talking point. It's you know gross and ableist, and it it's making fun basically of a stutter and putting all kinds of people who actually do have family members suffering from dementia through a lot of pain. So yeah, I think Trump has absolutely earned everything he's going to get. Uh, Trump is also not doing debate prep. Um, doesn't want anything to do with it. He's not doing a mock debate. He doesn't have a Biden stand-in. Uh, he's apparently told his aides it's a waste of time, and he just gets some people together that he trusts from Fox News and stuff and asks them what they think about certain lines. That's the extent of it. Oh, boy. Sounds good. I think it's going to go great. Do we know the <laughs> format of the first debate? Is it live? Like, in person? Oh yeah, I'm. I believe so. Let's see here. I was looking actually at the commission webpage earlier today. Do 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 do. Know about the. Uh, one moderator for each debate. Bah, 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 bah. Pandemic necessities have as few on-stage people as possible, but there is going to be a stage, and they are going to be there. Okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe make it like uh, that last uh, Biden-Sanders debate from March. 
be interesting. Where they, they socially distance, keep an empty room, and, you know, don't let them shake each other's hands. I just, I don't necessarily count on one of the candidates following through with that. I mean, yeah. and if they're both maskless, somebody getting close to somebody else just seems like bad juju. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, boy. Yeah, and considering all these awful super spreader rallies that Trump's been doing, too. Seriously. You kind of worry about him bringing something in and getting Biden sick. All right. Well, it's uh, 2 o'clock, so I I think we're going to call it here. Let me get predictions on the debates from both of you, though. How do you think it's going to go? Um, My prediction is... Trump will do horribly. It won't matter because his debate performances never matter. But what will matter (laughs) is that Biden (laughs) will be coherent. Biden will project empathy. And and that will continue to reassure the voters that he's trying to reassure that he's a safe alternate. And and with early voting going on, that is a great thing. Yeah. Now, I've been reading uh, Reagan Land recently, which is uh, Rick Perlstein's follow-up to some of his other histories of the conservative movement. And it makes me think a lot of that dynamic where the Carter team had basically done a lot like the Trump team, honestly. Had they you know, gone out and lowered expectations for Reagan, talked about what an idiot he was – and didn't do any prep of their own. And so when Reagan showed up and didn't act like an idiot and didn't act like a baby-eating monster, it was basically declared that he won it in a landslide. And eventually he, he did win the election in a landslide as well. It was just a few days later. But I see a similar dynamic happening, honestly, where they're trying to make Biden look like a drooling idiot, not doing anything to prep for it. And he's going to show up and he's going to do fine. He's Joe Biden. He's he he ripped Paul Ryan's head off eight years ago. He'll Hmm. he'll do just fine against Trump. Mm -hmm. So and then yeah, I think that could very well be the trigger that gets a lot of wavering folks to get in line with Joe. So let's hope. Yeah, I feel pretty similarly to that. Um, and the wavering uh, people have some backup. The The Lincoln Project uh, has come down pretty hard on no voting for a nominee. And the people in charge of the Lincoln Project have announced that ads start tomorrow against uh, certain senators who are kind of on the fence about that. Right. I, I, I think you're absolutely right that Biden just needs to reassure the people who want him to be there. Um, kind of the the Biden base, the the middle of the country. Um, as long as he does that, I think it's fine. And I I think you're right. He's going to do great. I mean, he may he may actually win the debates on the merits. He may fight to the draw. I I don't know how it's going to work, but it's going to look like a victory just because you know Trump's basically said the guy's a moron. Can't say two sentences. Yeah. <laughs> That's the line. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining me this week, and it was good to get you in, Chris. I apologize we didn't have you at the start. I apologize you didn't have me at the start. It's all good. Um, I do just want to plug the books Dan mentioned. Uh, Nixon Land, The Invisible Bridge, and Reagan Land are all amazing. 
Um, Nixon Land or Reagan Land, excuse me, just came out a, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so highly recommend the read. If you guys want to do something in the week that you're not listening, you should read that. All right. Have a good one, guys. You too. All right. Later. Bye.